Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, and this is episode 462. It is the bonus, and we're going to call it bonus episode, but where we have, for the second time this season, now in week two, we bring on... Um, we bring on a guest uh, that isn't Seth Cox, our, our normal co-host. We have a guest from GiantsWire.com. Dan Benton, the managing editor over there, is the Cardinals host the the New York Football Giants this week and week two. Dan, glad to have you. Um, I believe I, I, you you were on one of the summer shows. I did what a couple three probably for the twenty twenty game. I think when uh, in the off season. I seem to think. Yeah, I do. I do recall. Yeah, I actually was on here before. I don't remember. It must have been during the the COVID season, as I call it. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, right. that, that yeah. wasn't you know speaking of crazy things. COVID COVID year that was weird, but was weird. yeah. So the Cardinals and Giants, long time, long time opponents back to nineteen twenty six. Now none of neither one of us go go back that far, but we are among the older ones of our. I believe we're among the older ones of our of our groups. And, yeah, and we'll so, age ourselves in this show, I'm sure. <laughs> and so, but it, the Cardinals and the Giants have, the, the, while the Giants, like I think the the all time series is eighty and forty six and two against the Cardinals. It's been twelve years since the Giants beat the Cardinals. Uh, what? Uh, is there? Is is it just a, a weird time? I know the Giants have some has had some great seasons some bad seasons and the cardinals have been mediocre they've been good some years but you know four times dating back 12 over the last 12 years to not pick up a win over a team that's been largely considered not a great team it's been a while since since the if what it predates let's see 2011 was that 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 predates oh nope that doesn't predate that was still that was still eli right in 2011 that was eli that was the, the last Super Bowl team for the Giants. So, yeah, and in this game, it's an expected to be a bad Cardinals team against a Giants team that was in the playoffs last year. I, I kind of want to take uh, let, let's talk a little bit about from, about from last season because how much how did did the Giants overachieve last year? How much more could Brian Dable get out of the team than what they got last year? It felt like outside New York, and this is this is from all the way across the country perspective, I did feel like 
for for lack of a better word, that the Giants were a bit of a they were maybe a fraud playoff team like the Vikings. And then that have them win a playoff game, of course, with that first round playoff game playing against the Vikings. And you've got who is the bigger, who is the player, who is the team that is the bigger fake when it comes to the postseason? And it ended up being the it ended up being the Vikings with their gazillion wins. They lose in the first round, and and that that continues on. Uh, how was the Brian Dable year one last year? Well, given what the Giants had just come out of with Joe Judge, it was a very welcome change, uh, no doubt about that. But I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it a fraud season just because Brian Dayball is such a good head coach. He really is, and he really genuinely had that team prepared. He had them fighting. He had them scrapping. There's there's no doubt that their roster was underwhelmed, to be kind about it. They're, they're, they were lacking in, in almost every single area, um, particularly at receiver along the offensive line, of course, at you know inside linebacker. Um, depth and, and the secondary was obviously an issue. There, there were just holes all over the place. So to get that much out of what he had, you know, that's why he went on to win coach of the year. That was very much a deserving honor for him. Um, again, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to call them a fraud, although right, I do right. understand the sentiment, uh, the sentiment, but you know, they did over overachieve. Well, that, just, that's what no, it felt like. like yeah. Day, Brian Dable got about, like, he got everything that that roster yeah. could have gotten right yeah yeah absolutely i mean you could not possibly have squeezed anything else out of that limit there was there was nothing left it was bone dry at the end um and that's that's a credit to him and that's a credit to the coaching staff they did a tremendous job um and they did it with very little help they really did uh that's also why expectations coming into this season were were so much higher only to have them squashed horribly oh my gosh uh, what, what happened week, week one? one so Obviously, Dallas, an incredibly talented team, but that that game, forty to nothing. That what I, I'm sure you've 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 heard and seen the stat that no other team previously had had. Mm-hmm. What was it? Seven sacks, three They've turnovers, never, no a field of and there's yeah. a field goal re- blocked for a touch, and none of none of those things had ever happened to a team in its entire season. Season. And it happened to the Giants in week one. We'll just yeah. get it out. We'll, we'll get it out of the way. It's all happened in week one. Yeah. It, they, they, they had set that bar before the game itself was even <laughs> over. It was, it was amazing. Uh, and truth be told, and again, it's kind of remarkable that I'm about to say this, given what I just said about Brian Dayball. It was, in my 20-plus years of covering the New York Giants, it was the worst beating that I've ever seen. And in a lifetime as a Giants fan, because I'm, I'm blessed enough to be a Giants fan and cover the Giants. Um, it was probably, arguably, the worst performance I've ever seen. Period, and that's saying something considering I lived um, my informative years through the Dave Brown era, and that was absolutely horrendous. Um, you know, Cardinals fans may not be familiar with that name or Dave Brown or that, and yeah. Ken Graham. They both, started, they both started for the Cardinals in the 90s. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot that. Yeah, so you did experience that. Yes, we did. We experienced anybody that remotely could have been a decent quarterback or hoped they would be. Like right. like Chris yeah. Chandler, Dave Brown, Jay Schrader, Steve Burline, Kent Graham. We, right. we got, the, we got the, the carcasses of Boomer Esiason and Dave Craig. The 90s as a Cardinals fan – 
was terrible. Yeah, Holy I cow. I completely forgot that Dave Brown played for the Cardinals. That's, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a terrible thing to share. In the with, I'll tell you what. <laughs> but, I mean, really, that tells you the story about how bad that week one loss was when I start, you know, looking back in history and thinking, you know, there, there were Dave Brown era games that weren't that bad. It was, it was almost Joe Judge-esque. Like, I, I, I joke this week that I've seen games where the Giants run back-to-back quarterback sneaks uh, only to punt the ball that were, oh. were more impressive of a game than what we saw on on Sunday night against the Dallas Cowboys. So, I mean, everything, and, and we'll talk about this in Behind Enemy Lines this week, everything that, that could go wrong did go wrong. It was a complete and total team failure from top to bottom, and there's not a single person, player, coach, or executive who escapes blame for that performance. So, the things that happened, how much of that was, is just the perfect storm of, of of just a really bad matchup with a, with a Dallas team that that looks to be incredibly tough this year. And Dallas is coming to town next week, and so we're staring down the the potential beatdown. That that's one of those yeah. There's no chance games that you know kind of as a measuring stick is. Did that just magnify every weakness that the that the Giants have and just ma- maximized it to the to the extreme oh there's there's no doubt about it they completely uh, put the blueprint out there for every nfl team to see exactly what you have to do against the giants now the nfl's as you know covering it for so long is kind of a crazy place because things really drastically can change week to week and what happened on Sunday night is was really like the perfect mixture of absolutely everything going right for the Cowboys <laughs> and absolutely everything going wrong for the Giants. Like, you know, it, again in the NFL, there's usually one or two plays that make the difference in a game, no matter what the what the scoreboard says at the end. It's a the games are always much closer and can be boiled down to a few things uh, more than it seems to the to the outside perspective. But that wasn't the case on Sunday night at all. Um, Every play outside of that first drive, uh, with the exception of the third down snap that led to the field goal that was blocked and returned, pretty much from that bad snap on that third down on, um, it was a display of futility, the likes of which I've never seen for the Giants, and the kind of domination from the Cowboys that was facilitated by those mistakes and probably not the level of domination you'll see from them going forward. So the reality always falls somewhere in between when it comes to those things. So are the Cowboys as good as they seemed? Probably not, but they're still pretty darn good. And are the Giants as bad as they seemed? Probably not, but they are pretty darn bad. So, um, again, it was just kind of the perfect storm for the Cowboys, the worst kind of disaster for the Giants. And, uh, again, you know, we'll see – in the coming weeks, whether the Cowboys really are that dominant, they're good. There's no doubt about it. That front seven is is dangerous, and it's going to propel them a long way. But I don't necessarily believe that they're as dominant as they were in, and they appeared in that game. And I don't believe the Giants, are, although they are bad, as they appeared in that game either. Coming on next on the Rise Up Syrup podcast, the best of Cardinals talk. Let's, let's move ahead. What do the Giants look like? Not from last week. That's coming next on Rise of C Red. We're back on the Rise of C Red podcast, the best of Cardinal stock on the web. So I kind of want to look that. That's what makes that matchup last week hard. We saw a Giants team that was that was all Saquon was and 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 the the success that Daniel Jones had last year felt like it's because hey they're just hey 
don't do much. And that made him a much more efficient quarterback. Didn't turn the ball over badly. Um, really, for the first time in his career, was a really effective quarterback. But is this year an all Saquon offense? I know the guys added. You added a couple guys: Paris Campbell, decent player. Uh, Darren Waller, when he's healthy, he's really, really good. Um, but what what type of what do what do the Giants now offer offensively? What can we expect to see in Week Two? And I know that Waller and and Andrew Thomas are probably going to be questionable for game, and I don't know how questionable it is since they they got on the practice field on Thursday. Do you think they'll play one, two? What does the offense look like with or without them? Well. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, going back to last year quickly, I, it was the Saquon show early on in the season. There's no doubt about that. The Giants rode him hard, probably too hard to the point where the wheels came off because when you start looking further on down the season last year, it really became more of the Daniel Jones show than the Saquon Barkley show. He, Saquon, um, kind of lost his touch when it came to breaking tackles, making those big game-changing plays. His yards per carry dipped considerably. His late-game rushing was abysmal, and it really was Daniel Jones who was forced to carry the weight on his shoulder, and he largely did that with his legs. Um, and, and going into this season, there was this belief that there was going to be this natural evolution where he was going to take and build upon that success that he had, but be able to produce more through the air thanks to the additions of, you know, the Paris Campbell, of Jalen Hyatt, the rookie speedster, of Darren Waller. And the problem with that theory is, is in order for that to happen, you need to pass protect, and the Giants just cannot do that to any degree whatsoever. And that is sort of throwing a wrench into what was the initial plans for this team, which was going to be a more traditional spread offense, taking deep shots down the field, because believe it or not, contrary to popular belief, Daniel Jones is one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL when he does it. He just doesn't do it that much, largely because the team has struggled with separation, so struggled with spacing, and you know they were forced to rely on, on Saquon so often, especially earlier last year. Given how poorly the offensive line played in the first game, if that continues to be the trend for the Giants, they're going to have to do. They're going to have no choice but to try and operate similarly to how they did last year, and that's ride Saquon when they can and use Daniel Jones and his legs to to kind of create momentum and plays and keep the chains moving. That's not ideally what they want to do, uh, but again, like I said, it may be what they're forced to do, and that's especially true of Andrew Thomas, who although he did return on on. Thursday. I don't expect them to play on Sunday, largely because there's an immediate turnaround and they have to play on Thursday night against the 49ers in that pass rush. So I would expect him to sit out just, even if he is able to play, I'd expect him to sit out of a matter of precaution. Uh, the good news is that Darren Waller is going to play on, on Sunday. He, he really had more of a rest day on Thursday than it was related to his hamstring. He's still moving well. But again, you can't utilize a player like that if you can't keep the quarterback on his feet yeah. in the pocket. And the Giants... You know, they they have a real problem with that right now, which is only compounded not just by the Andrew Thomas injury, but by the Matt Pert injury, because if he's unable to play, and let's just be honest, he's not that great of a player to begin with, <laughs> they're going to have to use a guard at left tackle, and that's just going to be a disaster. Right, and it's interesting because me and my co-host were talking, and it doesn't it feel like, well, Andrew Thomas, who who a guy that, that struggled a bit his rookie year, he's... Fans should like him more, right? Fans should like 
they should. <laughs> they should like him more. And and from what I hear is that fans are pretty done with Evan Neal. How how has he developed so far? He hasn't. He hasn't developed at all, as a matter of fact, and that's one of the most concerning problems. He's got himself physically into much better shape than he was a year ago. He certainly looks the part, uh, but he's not playing the role. Like He went into the game against Dallas uh, thumping his chest about how he was going to go out there and get redemption because he played so poorly against him last season. It was actually the worst performance of his entire career. And then he had an even worse performance against them on Sunday night. And I, I know there are a lot of people who are kind of pumping the brakes on calling him a bust, and he hasn't even played 16 regular season games yet. While that may be true, um, there's just been no improvement whatsoever. He's getting beat on on simple simple things, simple simple ways that he shouldn't be. He's completely blowing assignments, whiffing on blocks. Like it, it really is almost like it has to be a mental issue at this point for him rather than a physical one because physically he's an imposing guy. He's a big, strong, prototypical kind of tackle that should be able to, you know, excel, especially given his athleticism because he is very athletic for his size, but just mentally he just doesn't seem to be there. And that's not a knock on him personally because he is a very intelligent person. In fact, he's an extremely intelligent person. But it's almost like it's just gotten to his head at this point where he's beating himself rather than the players across from him or beating him. And in the NFL, that can spiral. And if you don't get a handle on it quickly, it can end careers. Defensively, um, what can we expect to see? What is What has Wink Martindale brought? And what will that defense look like? I know week one, not a not a good measure of things, um, but you've got one of the most disruptive interior defenders in Dexter Lawrence. Leonard Williams is still there. Ashawn Robinson is is a fine player. What what are the Giants' defensive strengths, and how are how do you see them basically deposing everyone? Um, in what the defense will look like this coming season. I think, I think ideally what you'd like Wink would like to see out of that defense is traditional Wink, and that's going to be extremely aggressive, blitz-heavy, play the game fast, um, and you know basically keep constant pressure on the quarterback at all times. The problem that the Giants are running into, just as they ran into it last year, is that the outside linebackers, Kayvon Thibodeau, Azizo Jalari, even when he's on the field, they're not creating the kind of natural pressure that Wink needs to in order to maximize those safety blitzes, those corner blitzes, those linebacker blitzes, uh, because then you're just leaving your cornerbacks out to dry at that point. Um, Dexter Lawrence has obviously helped a great degree because he's able to collapse collapse the pocket from the inside but until those outside linebackers start getting around the corners and putting pressure on the quarterbacks that way it really handicaps wink and what he's able to do and you saw that last week against the cowboys where he actually moved away from the blitz which is something that you would never think that wink would ever do uh but he just couldn't continue to leave his rookie cornerbacks on an island out there and that's really unfortunate because at some point or another those guys that Wink is relying so heavily on, these talented players that they are, need to start kind of stepping up. And we're looking at Kayvon Thibodeau at this point and kind of thinking in the same way that we're looking at Evan Neal and thinking it's like, at what point are these guys going to put it together? Because right now they're hurting the team. They're not they're not helping the team. And if they were able to, if, if Kayvon was able to turn that corner, who knows the sky's the limit for the Giants defense because they're extremely fast. They're extremely aggressive. Um, 
when you look across the board at the NFL, the Giants have on average the hard, the highest RAS score per player on defense of any team in the NFL because they are that athletic. And bringing over Isaiah Simmons, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, kind of fits that bill as well because he's way high on that RAS scale in terms of pure athleticism and speed. And what the Giants could be able to do under Wink is – you know, who knows? Like I said, the sky is the limit, but what they are doing right now is nowhere near what they're capable of, and that's largely because the outside linebackers, the edge guys, just simply are not generating natural pressure. Isaiah Simmons is is the, the next topic of conversation, and that is, well, we know what Simmons can do over here. Um, he apparently was not quite a cultural fit for what they wanted. Uh, he was real close with DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, there was the he, there was the kind of the talk he didn't want to be here. Of course, the Cardinals did not ex- exercise his his fifth year option, and I think that soured him a little bit. And so he was not he was not didn't have that fire in his belly as <laughs> as people have made fun of Jonathan Gannon's speech um, to acquire him for so little. What is what is sort of the hope that he can do? And from it, what it appears in, in week one is that his impact was minimal. The talent is there. He's able to do a lot of things. He wasn't dominant at any point. What What is kind of the role that, that you envision Simmons having, and, and what sort of impact do you think he can or will have moving forward once he's had you know a few weeks of practice in? Yeah, I, I think the sample size last week, it's kind of rough to evaluate. Um, largely because he was in a brand new system. He's only had a very short amount of time to figure out that defensive playbook. They put in a package for him. You know, it was, again, it was very limited. Uh, He obviously was struggling with what he was given because there were several instances where you watched him on the field and he was clearly confused about what his assignment was. Uh, The saving grace was, of course, that his athleticism and speed allowed him to overcome those issues in the moment. Um, He was able to chase down the the, uh, offenders that he was supposed to be on where he was assigned. Um, so he kind of avoided the catastrophic error, which I suppose is a plus when you think about it, given how little experience he had in the system. But as far as what his role is going to be moving forward, he, the idea is for him to be a starter. He's probably going to assume the inside linebacker role, but that doesn't necessarily mean what it does for other teams. Wink is a true positionless defensive player, uh, defensive uh, coordinator. Every player on his defense is going to play different roles at different times. So you'll see Simmons all over the field, inside linebacker, outside linebacker, cornerback, safety. You might even see him line up on the inside in like a NASCAR package or something like that, given you know, given a specific scenario. That's what Wink envisions for Simmons long-term. They want to rely heavily on his athleticism and speed and hope that mentally he absorbs the, the system itself. He learns those different roles, and he's sort of able to excel beyond what he was doing in Arizona uh, but again, you know, for a player like that, when you start having these 40 to nothing beatdowns, um, it's easy to lose that kind of motivation. And then he falls back into old habits, which is, you know, obviously what the concern will be with him moving forward if the Giants can't right the ship. Coming up next on the Res of Zero podcast, best of our Cardinals talk on the whip. Let's look at the actual matchup, uh, picks, predictions, and all that sort of stuff. That's coming up next on Res of Zero. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web, talking with Dan Benton of Giants Wire, their managing editor over there. This game this weekend, uh, I am, this is a, a game that Cardinals fans look at with some optimism 
And I know Giants fans probably look at it as as a way to get right, but at the same time, the things that the Giants struggled with last week are the things that the Cardinals did very well in their in their first week against the Commanders, which following up with a game against the 49ers, and if they don't get it right, Giants could be looking at an 0-3 start, right? Mm-hmm. This is a must-win game for the Giants. There's no other way to put it. You don't often say that about a Week 2 game. But in a Week 2 game a against Giants, a team that's expected yeah. to be bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have, they have to win. There's no other way around it. There's no way to sugarcoat that. If the Giants lose this game, their season's over. That's just the reality of it. Because you got San Francisco coming the week after that. Let's just be honest. The Giants playing the way they are uh, with that offensive line, they're not going to win that game. If they do, it'll be like the craziest upset probably <laughs> of the NFL season. You know, then they they move on to Seattle, which is certainly a winnable game. But then they're at Miami and at Buffalo. And granted, Buffalo looked pretty rough in the season opener, but Miami, on the other hand, looked pretty explosive. So you kind of look at those games like, let's say at best they're fifty fifty games. So the Giants could very easily be looking at a one and five start or an oh and six start if they don't win this game. So you know, for that for that reason alone, this is this is an absolute must win game. Well, and, and from our perspective over here. Washington, which was a maybe winnable game, they did they they should have won. They should have won based on what we saw last week defensively. They should have won. The yeah. Giants game is is as close with because if the Cardinals don't pick up that first win on Sunday, it's not coming for a while because they play Dallas, San Francisco, Cincinnati, the Rams, the Seahawks, <laughs> then then Baltimore. So it's then you look at it, it might not be till like week nine, and it, that's even Cleveland on the road. So I do look at this game, and because of what the Cardinals did in week one, and because of the problems that the Giants had, it might be a very tough match. The problem is Cardinals offense is garbage with Josh Dobbs at quarterback. And the question is going to be, do they avoid turnovers? Um, the matchup I'm I'm really interested in seeing is basically everything along the offensive line. Um, the Cardinals got what I think, if you look at their defensive line, they had their front three, they combined for like three sacks and 17 tackles and, and had a fumble recovery a touchdown they got six sacks from five different players Dennis Gardeck uh, a, a guy that that had some success a couple in 2020 and and well and the fact that Daniel Jones has been sacked 14 times and then granted there were different defenses but they've been sacked 14 times in two games against the Cardinals in his career coming off a seven sack game in week one where the Cardinals had six sacks we I look at that and go Okay, that is that is the difference right there. If they can limit Saquon, which they did against Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson last week, then the Cardinals have a chance. And, and I, I will admit, dating back to when the schedule first came out, I thought that this was going to be the game that the Cardinals sneak home opener. You know, you get extra juice like that. I didn't expect the, the 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 Giants to be coming in potentially as desperate as they are. But what are what are some of the matchups that you look at as as kind of the key ones? 
Well, I think you touched on it right out of the gate there, kind of looking at the uh, the Giants' offensive line versus you know the Cardinals' front seven and what they're capable or able to do there. Uh, again, without Andrew Thomas, that becomes a lot more sketchy. And I, I did watch um, all of the Cardinals' sacks from last week, and there were a couple of them that concerned me because it's largely the same problems that the Giants have. There were also a couple, though, where like Howell's kind of just running outside the pocket and just went out of bounds short of, of, of the line of scrimmage, and they were kind of credited with a sack. Daniel Jones not going to do that. He's not going to have – he's too fast for that. He'll cut that corner and, and go up the sideline, so I wouldn't contribute that as like a potential Daniel Jones sack. But still, if they're able to collapse the in, you know the interior pocket, push Daniel Jones to the outside, and these guys aren't getting separation down the field, they're going to run into a lot of the same problems that you saw against Dallas. Now, hopefully Daniel Jones won't make the same mistake he made in the first game and try and force a pass down the field for an interception, which was uncharacteristic of what he's become. Um, so hopefully he can eliminate that mistake. But still, there's the potential for the Giants to give up a significant amount of pressure to a team that, although they may not be as talented and aggressive as the Cowboys in the front seven, it can certainly mess up the entire game, especially, as you said, if they're keying in on Saquon and taking away the run, because then all that's left at that point is Daniel Jones and his legs. And, you know, we saw him win a couple games that way last year, but that trend can't continue. It's the NFL, and that's just not how it works. The the, the Daniel Jones prop of 34.5 rushing yards, that's an easy bet. Huh? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that, that is an easy one as well. Um, for me, if the Cardinals, like I, I think, I think that the defense that the Cardinals have is underrated and underappreciated. I, I felt like I saw it a little bit with the starters in the preseason, but they played like five series total, and they, and they were solid. They're real disciplined. And so I was like, okay, I've got, there's a little bit of hope. Then what they do, they did what they did in week one. And I'm like, okay, this offense is terrible. And so I, I see this as a very ugly game. Although I would, I would say that probably that even with Dexter Lawrence, that the D, that the Giants are a slight downgrade up front, um, especially, well, overall, than what they did against Washington. Washington's a very good uh, physical defense up front. And so if the Cardinals, if Josh Dobbs doesn't turn the ball over, or if they don't have, if, if he can make one play instead of zero plays last year, last week, that this has the potential to be an ugly, gross Cardinals win. But even if it is a, a, not a win, I think it's going to be a gross yucky game in general because i don't think the cardinals can play pretty right now <laughs> i don't know if you read my my answers to behind enemy lines yet but i basically said the same thing as far as this game like i don't know what people in vegas are thinking i really don't well the giving Last giving looked, giving the well at, at the lines down to four but giving them oh, five and a half yeah i, I was saw like five and a half whoa and, like, that's crazy. and that 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 that's <laughs> And, and writing off that, that's why I'm for my for Sportsbook Wire, my my underdogs column. I have the, like the Cardinals. I'm they're that's not going to be that. No, I no, I, 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 I think the Cardinals can sneak this, which will be which will be really bad for the Giants' season because I don't see the Cardinals picking up another win until midseason. <laughs> and so that's that that's kind of the are, are, as competitive as they were last week. If they don't get a win this week, I don't know when that win's coming. 
Yeah. No, well, I kind of feel that way maybe for both of these teams. So it's, it's a desperate game in week two. It's either way, though, whoever wins and whoever loses, this game is not going to be a pretty game to watch. No. <laughs> there's, just, there's just no way around that. It's just the reality of what this game is going to be. Yeah, I, I have it 2017 or 2320. You, I, I know what, what you put on, on behind it was 1917. That, 1917. Oh, but yeah. It, it, it's it, going to be a slog of a game. There's no doubt about it. Is, it. Just, it is. It is. It's just the way it's going to be with these two teams. So uh, I think the Giants are going to sneak it out because they have to sneak it out. And Brian Dayball will have his team aware of the fact that they need to win this game. And I think that's going to be the difference in there. I think Daniel Jones is probably going to do some stuff with his legs just to make it happen. But it ain't going to be pretty. It's going to be an ugly game for all four quarters. There's going to be a lot of bad football. A lot. I, I expect a lot of turnovers. If I'm being completely honest. All right. Um, yeah, it's going to be just going to be ugly. It's going to come down to the last second. Maybe like a forty-something yard, you know, Graham Gano field goal that punches it through. As long as it doesn't get blocked and returned for a touchdown again. <laughs> but that's the kind of game that, that we're Giants in making for. history again. Field goal blocks <laughs> for touchdowns two consecutive weeks. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, I don't expect it to be pretty, but I mean that's <laughs> going to be that's going to be on both sides, I suppose. Well, it, it, like if it were Colt McCoy, okay, Colt McCoy and, and and Jonathan Gannon basically came out and said Colt McCoy's washed up, and that's why they cut him. Now Colt McCoy's living his best life right now. Um, has has TV jobs lined up on the weekends, and he's being paid two and a quarter million of guaranteed salary to not play football this year. Even a washed up, I still think a washed up Colt McCoy is a better option than a healthy Josh Dobbs because Josh Dobbs is smart. But even an old Colt McCoy is a better playmaker than Dobbs, and that's the part that the Cardinals, if if they if they're as good, if they continue their defensive play, that will be what the problem is: is that Dobbs isn't a playmaker, and they don't make enough plays offensively. And and I saw this in the offseason as Colt McCoy stealing a win from the Giants is as the Cardinals over the last over the last decade have been stealing wins with backups against the Cardinals. Drew Stanton in twenty fourteen and in twenty seventeen beating his beating the Giants and then, you know, Colt McCoy coming in to it would be a perfect opportunity for him to pick up a win against his former former team. It was all lined up really nice and and yeah, but this is going I to be, be honest with if Colt McCoy was starting, I might feel differently about the outcome of this game. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, the Giants traditionally don't play good against backup quarterbacks anyway. So, I mean, it's entirely possible for Dobbs to Okay, to well, well let's look at it that way because Dobbs, yeah. even though he's a starter, he's a backup. And, geez, I, I still don't I, – I've never been so – like, I'm not a critical guy about the Cardinals. I'm, I'm an optimistic that this is, this is the team I grew up watching. And mm-hmm. so – but the, the Dobbs mood, I'm like, what do you see? What do you see in Josh Dobbs? He's been in the league since 2017. He's played in nine games. And he had two weird starts last year for Tennessee. We saw what he was last week against the Red, against the command. I, I still do that. I still say Redskins. When <laughs> I do it too. Hey, listen, we grew up in the NFC East. That's just the way that it is. <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, Josh Dobbs, not, I mean, smart guy, good guy. He also, also here, he has a bunch of fans who hate him because he was committed to Arizona State until the last minute. And then, like, 
11th hour switched to Tennessee. So I have some friends, because I have season tickets to Arizona State um, here, looks where I went to school. And there are there are guys, we're talking, what, if this is just 2000, if this is we're talking 12 years ago, and there are people who are still, they're like, oh, Josh Dobbs, we sour. hate him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he left a sour taste in their mouth. Now, oh see, God. this is where he's got to win them all back over and show them that he, <laughs> he brings something home. I don't know if the Sun Devil fans are going to do that because like the hard, no, hardcore just, Sun Devil fans, yeah. they don't care that much about the Cardinals. <laughs> no, so, so it's it's basically no no such luck for him, man. He's just going to get booed by his own guys, but uh Hey, listen, Daniel Jones and Eli Manning know something about being booed by their own people, and he yeah. didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that 11th hour stuff. So, yeah, yeah, you know, NFL fans, they're harsh, man. They, they are. They are. They're, they're harsh. They're a harsh group. But, um, but you man. know, I'm sure, they, you know, who knows, you know, where the Cardinals are are sitting and, and looking ahead. I, I hate to say it because you don't – you never want to say it about any team, but maybe they're already looking like, hey, let's get that number one pick, you know. And Josh Dobbs may be our best option to go for that you know, number one it's, pick. It's, it's hard. It's hard to argue against that when their starting quarterback decision is to go get a guy that has two career starts. <laughs> I, I keep saying they're not trying to, but everything they do seems to. When when they like, cut DeAndre Hopkins, they cut Colt McCoy, they trade away Isaiah Simmons. Now I I, I get their their valid reasons, but there were moves all through the offseason when you're like, that's a, not a football move. Like, you just made yeah. your team worse. Like, DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> not on the well. team. You, you're a worse football team without DeAndre Hopkins. And I get the culture part of that. Uh, Deon, uh, you know, going from Isaiah Simmons to Kayvon Wallace at safety, that's that's a deep, that's a downgrade football-wise. When you cut Colt McCoy, who's been with the team all offseason, to go with Josh Dobbs and his two career starts in six seasons to start, with two weeks of practice, that's a that's a downgrade football move. So as much as I'd like to think that the Cardinals are not trying to be the worst team in the NFL, the actions say otherwise. And so yeah. they just every everything goes like and everything I've been saying is like, but Jess, look at the team. I'm like, I, I know. <laughs> But they're not trying to lose. But then it looks like they're trying to lose. It's a boy. That's a fully embraced rebuild right there. If I've ever heard it. <laughs> uh, that will wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Secret Podcast. That's Dan Benton from Giants Wired. Uh, is there is there anywhere else other than than just just hitting up the site Giants Wired where my fans here the Cardinals fans can can come bother you social media or whatnot? <laughs> uh, no, actually, personally, I stay off of social media. I'm that guy that only runs the, the the Giants Wire account. They could find us on Twitter and and Facebook if they're interested in the Giants coverage. Obviously, we also all do USA Today Sports Weekly um, out every every midweek. So if anybody wants to see our coverage there, they can find it. And if you're looking for me personally for whatever reason, you can also find me at Larry Brown Sports. And other than that, Dan will be hiding in the sticks. Um... <laughs> I live deep in the woods in the mountains of New York. So. There are bears, people. There are <laughs> literal bears where he lives. So <laughs> I run into them every week, man. It's normal for me here. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for your time. We'll be back next week um, to kind of wrap up review the show back with seth but that's den menton thanks for listening everyone we'll be back again soon thanks for listening to the latest edition of the rise up sea red podcast listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on apple podcasts stitcher radio audio boom 
or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.